Well, hello there, and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I am Mr. Warren Hayes, and I want to thank you all very much for joining me today. It is, uh, we're recording this on August 11, 2022. Another week of wrestling has gone by, professional wrestling. This is what we talk about on the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. We recap the week, talk about stuff that happened that I thought was interesting, review wrestling, News and bits and tidbits of news and stuff like that. It's, it's an ex, there's exciting stuff going on. And I'm glad you guys are here to join along right here on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes, for instance. You're watching this video right now. Hey, hey, give it a like right now. And honestly, the likes really, really do help. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you aren't already subscribed to the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel, go right ahead. You'll never miss another Mr. Warren Hayes Show podcast for the rest of your life. And on top of that, you'll also get these days my G1 32, G1 Climax 32 coverage, which is coming to an end over the next few days. The G1 is just about done. There's four nights of block action left, one night of semifinals and another night of finals. So there's still more to talk about and I hope you guys stick around for it. Uh, And the best way to stick around is to become a subscriber. So subscribe to the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel. I appreciate it a great deal. If you do, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast application, thank you very much as well. Um, Leave a review, five-star review on Apple Reviews, a five-star rating on Spotify. All these things help grow the channel. Little itsy-bitsy teeny things, but they help grow the channel and they help show some support. There's other ways you can show support as well. If you go to youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes, you can become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel which gives you access to members-only content, such as the Going Broadway series, where I talk about stuff that uh, I I don't talk about on the podcast. (laughs) You know, I I plan too many things, too many topics, and whatever I can't get to, it gets tossed over for members-only. And I'll be recording that one uh, shortly for the members as well, because we do have more content for you. So, that shows some support tremendously. If you're leaving a comment, that also helps out quite a bit on youtube comments help out a bit uh not a bit a lot and you can also leave a a a super comment or a super thanks is what they call it which is a comment like a super chat but a comment and all these ways show support you don't even have to shell out money if you don't want just showing you know little little things like likes and stuff like that helps out a great deal so listen what are we talking about tonight well Vince McMahon's been doing some shenanigans, so we're gonna, or at least we're, it's been revealed that he's doing more shenanigans. Let's let's talk about that. Uh, Triple H as well. Look, you know, Dexter Loomis, Karrion Cross, all that stuff is back. How's Triple H doing? Is is it, it, have we entered the Great Revolution era of Triple H? Because uh, a lot of people like to tell me that's what we're doing right now. So you know, I'll talk a bit about that. Uh, AW Battle of the Belts, Quake by the Lake. Got a good show on our hands. Let's get to it. So uh, let's just get to it and uh, say something nice about Bill Gold. Robin Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. Now, here's a little bit of Goldberg history you may not know. A little bit of Goldberg lore, okay? There's There's an original gimmick that was planned for Goldberg, right? And in a moment of clarity... He rejected it. He said, no, sir, that doesn't work for me. And that gimmick, yeah, it was, uh, he, he was supposed to be a t-shirt store attendant called Foldberg. 
What is the what is the longest possible route I could take for a shitty ass pun? You just you just found out tonight, folks. Welcome to the Mr. Warren Hayes show. Um, before we get into anything else, uh, this week we learned actually on Tuesday that uh, Jean Labelle, judo Jean Labelle, had uh, passed away at the age. Of 89 years old, LaBelle is a an important figure in boxing, MMA, wrestling, uh, and who was very active in the movie industry as well, but uh, a man who's had influence in uh, three variants of combat sports and often credited as being the first, uh, the first uh, uh, person to actually practice mixed martial arts. LaBelle started catch wrestling at the age of seven years old training under Ed the Strangler Lewis and later trained in judo. He was also trained by uh, the likes of Carl Gotch and Lou Thez. 1963, he uh, accepted a challenge to fight a boxer, Milo Savage, in an early mixed martial arts bout that saw LaBelle score the win with a rear naked choke. LaBelle uh, parlayed his judo and grappling expertise into Hollywood where he became one of the most seasoned stunt performers in the industry and was involved in an endless list of film and television projects. As a pro wrestler, LaBelle worked as the Hangman and won championships in Kansas City for Central States, becoming its heavyweight champion in 1967, in October 1967. Uh, under his own name this time, he won the heavyweight title in Hawaii for 50th State, and uh, he did that in February 1963, uh, my uh, Maivea, wow, why did I miss that up? Nef Maivea and lost it back to him in April. Uh, and as far as we know, his last known pro wrestling match occurred in 1981 against Peter Maivea. And uh, also, you know, as he as part of, uh, of his legacy in wrestling, he was also the referee for the famous slash infamous, depending on your point of view, Antonio in uh, Inoki Muhammad Ali match at the Budokan in 1976. Uh, now, when we were talking about a guy who's had, uh, you know, countless projects in Hollywood, here's some here's some of the 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 the, the projects that he's actually worked on, acted on, or so on and so forth. He was in he was uh, in Raging Bull, General Hospital. The Mission, the Mission Impossible television series, the Batman television series, the Beverly Hillbillies, Walking Tall, the 1973 original, right? And the one remade in 2004 with The Rock. Um, Kojak, The Six Million Dollar Man, Startsky and Hutch, Walker, Texas Ranger, Married with Children, Rush Hour, Man on the Moon, The X-Files, Reno 911, 24 and others uh, tons of others and that's and of course there's that one story where uh he says he choked out steven seagal and steven seagal has always said that never happened so that makes it even funnier to me um of course uh, i mean look um it, this is a, this is a guy uh who you could have easily uh a full podcast just devoted to his career, his influence, his uh, everything that he has brought to 
combat sports and uh, stunt work in movies as well. Uh, but uh, I'm going to keep it uh, brief here. I, you know, I don't have the chops to do those types of deep dives, uh, but a lot of people have done and will do. Um, of course, he was a, me- a mentor slash trainer uh, to uh, people like Ronda Rousey and Roddy Piper and so many countless others were inspired by his work, including Brian Danielson and Shayna Baszler. Um, just uh, uh, just a, 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 an amazing life. And I think he was even, if I'm not mistaken, he was he, he was arrested for he, he was arrested at some point because he drove a getaway car for someone who was implicated in a murder. Like just a wild life this guy uh, has been involved in uh, and whose uh, fingerprints are just about everywhere whenever you see in pro wrestling and if we're speaking specifically to what we like here. Um, he, just a, a crazy life that he has uh, that he's been through, uh, and whose fingerprints are everywhere in modern day. Like whenever you see, you know, grappling techniques happening, you know, this catch as catch wrestling that we keep hearing about. He's a central figure in all of this. Uh, a huge loss. Um, our condolences to his entire family, of course. Then I want to thank. Uh, figure four online and most importantly post wrestling for all the notes that they were able to supply here uh, and uh, particularly uh, um, Jason Pollock's uh, write up on uh, on Gene LaBelle on post wrestling is particularly good so um, if you want a little more go check that out uh, but thank you guys for doing the work as usual just fantastic stuff Jean LaBelle, 89 years old. All right. <clears throat> there we go. Got all choked up. But now we're ready to go. Sports and Things shows. Carlos, nice to see you and welcome. You're arriving right on time for us to talk about more Vince McMahon shenanigans where the WWE has uncovered payments that Vince didn't record in 2007 and 2009 this is more stuff that's appeared allow me to read off the article uh, from our boy andrew thompson over at post wrestling here we go the latest sec filing notes from the wwe uh, indicates that vince mcmahon did not record the filings in the early 2000s it is noted that former company chairman and ceo vince mcmahon did not record Two additional payments in 2007 and 2009 that total $5 million. Those payments are unrelated to the special committee investigation. In late July, it was announced that certain payments that McMahon agreed to make from 2006 to 2022 were not appropriately recorded as expenses in WWE's consolidated financial statements. Altogether, those unrecorded expenses total... 19.6 million dollars all payments labeled as unrecorded expenses were or will be paid by vince mcmahon personally (laughs) this 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 never ends 19.6 million we're up to now this this revelation here 
this revelation is pushing back the uh, release of WWE's financial statements, which uh, were supposed to happen this Tuesday, which were supposed to happen this Tuesday, but instead they came out with the, they being WWE, came out with the announcement that they had found an additional 5 million in unrecorded company expenses. Now, at first, you're probably, you're probably sitting there going, I guess he paid so much more weenies, did not he? Yes, what a scumbag. Well, this is where it gets a little crunchy. Because according to, according to IRS filings that were uncovered, it has become likely that these payments are connected to former United States President Donald Trump. I'm heading over to WrestleNomics here. This article from uh, from a friend of the show, Brandon Thurston, which of course I will always tell you to follow Brandon and WrestleNomics. Don't be dopes and do that. Um, according to the IRS, WWE spent a total of exactly $5 million in contributions to the Donald J. Trump Foundation in the same two years, 2007 and 2009, being the two years that these fi- that these $5 million, uh, that, that these contributions were f- filed but not reported kind of thing, right? The records indicate the contributions came from WWE used its head- and, and used its headquarters address with no specific person named, the latest years-old comments from WWE's media relations attributed the donations to Vince McMahon and his wife, Linda McMahon, personally. Now, as I said, Tuesday was the, the, the was the the date where WWE was supposed to to put out the reissue to reissue their financial statements because they had to reissue them with the NDA money that had been previously discovered. But now they keep finding more. WWE was by far, well, we, I said that, excuse me. I, I read that. But still re- regarding the WrestleNomics thing, and it's funny because we have AK Germany in the chat making a joke about Mara Lego, but look, we're not going to sit here and, you know, really, like, claim things. But the coincidence here is hot as hell because the disclosure from WWE on Tuesday came one day after the FBI executed the search warrant on, the, uh, on uh, Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Now that we 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 know there's a relationship between the McMahons and and Trump. We know this even before these things popped up. We knew this. Now, is this a question? Is this WWE going? Oh well, we found this. We got to put this out here as soon as possible so that we can be absolved from trying to hide things. Possible because they've got fed. Look, they already have the SEC. Down their necks, right? They already have that. 
do you really want, right? Do, do, do you really want on top of it? Do you want on top of it all to have the FBI come and knocking on your door? I didn't think so. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. Look, this this story just keeps on giving. This is nuts. And it just makes you wonder what else they're going to find. And not only just, not even a question of, of NDAs. Vince having sex with people that he has to pay money for. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I apologize. I sincerely apologize. I don't remember who was making the point but it was an excellent point because we're all sitting here you know regular average everyday boys gals and non-binary pals right and we're like why would wouldn't a guy like vince mcmahon like a, a legitimately legitimate bit level legitimately a huge businessman right billionaire why would he feel compelled to always have sexual relations? I say always, but you know what I mean. To create, to have sexual relations with women who work for him. And then f knowing that he'll probably have to pay them off. Right? Like, but if we're sitting around together and we're discussing this as reasonable, you know, uh, 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 not mentally... Uh, challenged individuals. I don't know what I was trying to say there. But, you know, as people who, who, who you know, have common sense. That's what I was trying to say. You're like, Vince, just go out and meet people. Leave the office. Right? Instead of hitting on your employees, instead of harassing them. Right? That makes sense. But then this person, again, I forget the podcast and I sincerely apologize. Because it's an excellent point. I was like, Vince probably did it because he could. And to him, that was the win there. To him, that was the win. That he's capable of doing it. That he's so rich and powerful that he can have, he can do, he can have sex with whoever he wants and then give them the money to shut up about it. Like, it's a very alpha thing, right? I think it's wild. But you know what else is wild? John Laurinaitis has been fired. some that's some good news that is some very good news apparently he was released quietly <clears throat> of course they don't want to make a big stink out of it right they don't want to make it too public they don't want to put it out there because he's under investigation that could be an admission of something right hit the bricks 
from all accounts, just a an insufferable person. Terrible HR person on top of that. And a creep. Hit the bricks, buster. Since we're talking about WWE, why don't we talk about what's going on in WWE? We can chit-chat about this a little bit because I think, you know, there's, there's some interesting things that are happening, you know? It was a week of comebacks, of returns. This past Monday night, Dexter Loomis showed up on, on Raw, but not in the way you'd think. Not in a, uh, not as Dexter Loomis, uh, 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 you know, coming in, uh, you know, with his new entrance theme and shuffling down to the ring and, and doing wrestler things. No. Dexter Loomis was in the audience. He was in the audience at the main event and he was, he was overtaken by security and pulled away. Right? And that's the whole thing. Now, I saw that. And I was like, I like this. I like it. I I really I thought this was I thought that was pretty neat to see uh because they didn't put an emphasis on it, right? It wasn't like the usual WWE thing where they'll you know they'll just center the camera on what's going on in the audience, right? And you know, AJ Styles was sort of looking over and was like, he was very casual about it. He wasn't overplaying or anything. It was just like, huh. And then, you know, the thing here is that there's a lot of people who were saying, uh, you know, oh, is it a, you know, is it, he was taken away by security. Is it a shoot? It's not a shoot. It's a work. It's a, it's a complete work because he ended up on TV. Whenever there's a fan that tries to jump the barricade in any circumstance, WWE instantly cuts away from it. They did, like they... They they had it come across like, and even even commentary was acknowledging it, which they never do, or seldom times, right? It's a work. Don't worry about it. But it's okay to it's okay to have been worked. All I'm saying is it's not Dexter Loomis pulling an, an Enzo Amore to try and get himself back on TV. That's not what that was, right? But I was like, look, well. This is interesting. It's interesting because this breaks every formula that WWE has ever come forward with on main roster. So at the very least, I'm like, trying out something new, you know? And if they want to stretch, you know, was did was it Dexter earlier in the evening who crashed the car coming in? I'm like, they crashed a car for this angle. Okay. Let's, you know, I'm always like in a This is probably the thing that has me the most intrigued in WWE for a long time because I'm really intrigued on how they're going to handle it. Because if it's a question of, if it's a question of Dexter Loomis coming in, you know, stalking AJ Styles, for instance. Maybe he's after AJ, right? For some reason. And he's stalking AJ and he's, you know, He's in all these ambiguous corners and so on and so forth, and you have to pay attention to what's going on on screen. It's like that's already umpteen times better than whatever was being done with Vince, right? 
Hey, Evan. Nice to see you. And Justin Firestein, nice to see you as well. So, you know, it's not, it's nothing earth-shattering. Dexter Loomis on Raw. You know, I don't, I don't, it's not a game changer. It's not, it's not suddenly Cody Rhodes returns. You know what I mean? But it is certainly very interesting to see what they go with this. And got a lot of people talking and, you know, ultimately that's what you want. So I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Killer Cross showed up on Friday on SmackDown. Carrion Cross now back to the old misnomer. Not misnomer. That's not what misnomer means at all. Back to the old nomenclature. That's what I wanted to use. Not misnomer, folks. Kids. Kids, tell your parents. Warren did a boo-boo. He wanted to say nomenclature, but instead he said misnomer. So he misspoke. Um... So basically, so so Karrion Cross showed up as a surprise on uh, Friday, and if I'm not mistaken, well, he, he this is not if I was mistaken. He was there with Scarlet, so they reunited the act, which they should have never separated in the first place, right? And he's back doing the TikTok thing with the with the hourglass. Oh, uh, okay. And then you have um, you have uh, 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 um, and that this this re- return got people extremely excited, and I'm a little perturbed. Not perturbed. Uh, uh, no, I'm a little perturbed as to why. I'm I'm trying to make sense as to why people got so worked up with the return of Karrion Cross to television in, 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 on WWE television when he was not a successful addition to the WWE product in the first place. And this is a guy who, when he was in NXT, was um, routinely pl- panned by fans for his work, for his character, for... I mean, we all recall, and if we haven't recalled it, we've definitely seen the videos regularly. We all recall Adam Cole absolutely spearing through the guy verbally, saying, you can't lace my boots, you don't belong here, so on and so forth. And 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 then it's not as if they didn't try to make... Carrying Cross a star in NXT. Sure, they strapped the belt on him, which, in, of course, in the in the mind of WWE, is enough to say you are a star because we put a title on you, so you are the star. But, but it doesn't really work that way, right? But they put the title on him. Hell, and they had him go through in one match: Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano. Pete Dunne and Kyle O'Reilly in one match had them beat all four of those guys and he still couldn't properly get over. He was not as over as any of those guys in the ring. Not as good a worker. They call him up to Maine and they do the fucking vinyl gladiator bullshit 
that, of course, is, you know, the death knell for him. It's like, how come he's not getting over? How come he's not getting over? And then, but we're talking about WWE. Triple A tried to make him a star. Impact Wrestling tried to make him a star. I don't know why people are stoked for the return of, you know, Project X. We, we, he, this is, look, and in all fairness, everything I hear about Karrion Cross is that he's a super nice guy. And one person told me he's too nice to be in wrestling. Okay? But, <laughs> but I don't know. I do not understand what the fixation is on trying to get this guy over as a star. Because now they're positioning him. Apparently, number two heel is what I'm is what I I, I heard, what I read, the, what's reported, of course. How is this guy number two heel in any in any promotion anywhere? How many he has proven himself zero times as a draw. Zero. As an attraction. Zero. Maybe, look, maybe Triple H has this, has these magic fingers. I'm, look, I'm being told that Triple H is a, is a brilliant booker, right? This is what I'm being, this is what I'm being told right now. Because um, as it stands right now, this is very conflated as far as booking goes. Because this is basically the new guy coming in and saying, this is my new top guy. There's still Roman Reigns. You get the point. You know what I mean. It's like someone takes over the some someone takes over the new territory and starts pushing, you know, Jack Briscoe instead of Dusty Rhodes. Saying Jack Briscoe's my guy. And if Vince were pulling this off, people would be like, people would be like, ah, fuck you, Vince. Because Vince, this has been Vince's MO right here. Telling us you are going to get to like this guy, or you are. This is the guy that we are going to push for you. That you are going to hate. Look, just as recent as often, uh, recently as Austin Theory, all those years with Roman, and we've got Triple H right here pulling up a pulling up a an NXT black and gold cast off. And people going, woo! Go Hunter! The King of Kings! And I don't, look, and I don't, I don't see it right now. Now, here's the thing. Okay, let's, let's go ahead, and I'm going to make a note here. Let's talk about Triple H's booking, okay? Because I think, I think this is, I think it's interesting right now. Because, you know, if I'm... To fall, if, if I believe what I am told without experiencing it myself, uh, WWE is having a legitimate renaissance right now and the product is indescribably different than what it was. Now, I have seen some differences. I've watched the past two weeks of Raw and 
as a pro wrestling fan, I must say I am thrilled to the gills at the amount of pro wrestling that happens on this pro wrestling show. Um, because there was there was a, there were quite a few matches, long matches. Look, and they gave us Bobby Lashley versus Tommaso Ciampa, which rocked. Of course it did. We got uh, Finn Balor versus Rey Mysterio, which I thought was a solid match. Right up until the ending. Uh, we had Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable putting on a sound professional wrestling match. Now I'm sitting here and I'm watching that and I'm like, holy shit. We get Kevin Owens coming out in prize fighter mode again. Not all hoo-hahs and and, and smiles and whatnot. Coming back out to be a killer. And what does he do? He writes Ezekiel off TV. Just kills him. Live and on television. Because Triple H goes, you know what? This, This twins nonsense with Ezekiel hit the bricks. It'll never get over. And it wouldn't have. It would not have gotten over. Anyway. So there's things like that that I see. And there's moves that Triple H are making that he knows. Because he's, look, he's, he's this, he is the cerebral assassins. There are moves, he's making moves right now that he knows that the hardcore crowd is going to enjoy. And this is what he needs to do. He needs to get like the hardcore crowd behind him. So what is he doing? He's bringing back people that the audience really liked. Io Shirai, well, Dakota Kai, I should say, you know, bringing up from NXT people that they really that we really like, like Io Shirai, and also on top of that, on top of it all, giving spotlight to people that the audience really likes, like Kevin Owens, like Tommaso Ciampa, not like chumps, not as chumps, but as contenders, as people who are ready to go, instead of giving us a 10-minute Dominic match. Second second week in a row without Austin Theory, too. So these are calculated moves. These are not mistakes. This is H-building goodwill. Okay, trust me, this is exactly what this is. Because if you look at the rest of the show, I know, right? Wrestling on a wrestling show, it's crazy. The bar is so fucking low. We get excited when there's wrestling on a wrestling show. If you look at the rest of the program, it's paint by numbers raw. It's the same type of presentation. It's 15, 15 minutes of promos to start off the show. Even if it is Bailey and we missed her and we want more of her, we're still starting the show with a promo. We still got nonsense strewn throughout. Got screwball finishes. Look, we got a referee's decision. Of course, the... the you know, it's just... The presentation is still... You know, so very asepticized. 
and over overproduced. It's still the same WWE. It's still the same Raw. And I told you last week, and I'm going to repeat it again this week. Triple H, creative, have no incentive on bringing sweeping changes to Raw before they renegotiate their deals. Because the last thing they want to do, especially Trips, who is probably quite happy to be in this position that he's in right now and doesn't want to fuck it up, they're going to wait before implementing anything until the negotiations are done, which are going to happen next year. Because the deals are up in 2024. But, you know, bet your bottom dollar they've already started whispering about it they've been there's there have been informal chit chats you know dinner meetings and shit like that it's already happened it's already happening but the negotiations are going to happen next year so you can be absolutely sure that until the ink has dried on new contracts with uh with uh, uh, uh usa with uh, uh fox there will not be any substantial changes to weekly programming on WWE television. It will still be the same thing. And I, like I said, like I'm not seeing, I'm seeing incremental small changes we're getting matches on Raw and we're getting excited about it, right? And we jo we, we're we joking about it in, in the... Uh, we're, we're milking about it. We're milking about it. There's <laughs> a super chat coming up that's talking about milk. But we're talking about it in the chat right now. And that, that's the idea here is that there's... You know, the bar was so low. Like we said, you know, wrestling on a wrestling show. Jesus Christ. The bar is so fucking low from where Vince left it is that anything could be an improvement. Anything. They could have put trained seals in there as bookers and it would have been better. But it's the same show. It's still the same show. It still feels the same way. It's ab like it, there's there's no I, I don't see anything different here. There's differences, but the like I said, the bar was. Shout out to WWE fans because I think you guys are and gals and non-binary pals are and and I mean this legitimately. I think y'all are the most patient human beings on earth to sit by this product and say, Let, let's, let's go. I tried to be that and I couldn't. At some point, I'm like, look, I have to divest of this because it's making me angrier than anything else, right? But now we're coming around, we're, you know, and I'm, I want to see, you know, I'm diving back in. I want to I be, I want to have that curiosity myself to be like, what do I feel about this? How, how this is going on? But for all of you sitting around and have been watching this, bless your hearts. The thing here is that I think that the bar is so low 
for WWE and their fans know it, whether it's consciously or sub or, or not, that the minute that something good happens, something really exciting, like, you know, the fucking Bobby Lashley Ciampa match or Dolph Ziggler and, 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 and Chad Gable having practically like, you know, a, a catch wrestling match on, on, on a fucking Monday night. The fans get excited because they know this is good. Because they know it's good. Then they go out on Twitter, on message boards, and everyone, they're like, this fucking rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. And then when they don't get that same level of excitement, they get pissed off, they get mad. It's like, well, we're all good again. We're doing bare minimum shit here. And as far as, you know, weekly consistent great pro wrestling, I've got another show for that that's been doing it for three years. So the bar is low, but the bar is also set very high, in, at least for me. Plus, on top, of, on top of fans getting excited, and I mean, they should get excited. Here's the point. Don't get me wrong. They should get excited when Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable put on a solid pro wrestling match. They absolutely should. But then when people turn around and it's like, oh, you know, you know and they're, when they're screaming, five-star match, five-star match, when in fact it was like, it was a very good pro wrestling match, a three and a quarter, a three, three quarters, maybe a four, 3.5. And they get mad. Again, because the bar is so low, that when something good happens on Raw, the expectation is blown to the like, whole, everyone goes, holy shit. It's okay to be optimistic in regards to the direction of WWE. It's okay. But here, that's the reason, this is why I personally, and again, you know, anyone out there can handle this whichever way they want. I'm talking... Mr. Warren Hayes of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I have been burned on these WWE changes too many times for me to go to brush this off and say, and, and go and to brush them all off and say, let's go dub dub E, dub dub E kind of thing, right? Because it's happened before and it will happen again. It is entirely okay to be optimistic, but your boy here is coming in very, very cautiously. And I think you should too. Because the booking, you know, Triple H, this, this fantastic booker, as AK Germany96 said in the super chat. Thank you very much, AK. Appreciate it a great deal. He says, Triple H can do no wrong right now he's milking it well yeah exactly but that's the thing is like he's bringing in he's bringing in people wrestlers like his boys and his girls which is normal that's like let's let's not get things askew here this is normal change of power you bring in your you bring in your people that's that's just how it happens just so happens the people he's bringing in are people that you really like Io Shirai Dakota Kai Dexter Loomis has a very, very strong fan base. Karrion Cross, I don't understand. They're giving 
screen time to Tommaso Ciampa to go out there and fucking wrestle. These are all, these are all good faith gestures. This is Triple H going, hey, you know what? I'm doing this for you guys. But, then you flip this around and Triple H is the same guy who's doing this Liv Morgan bullshit. This is the dichotomy here. Liv Morgan comes out last Friday, the Friday after retaining her title at SummerSlam, the SummerSlam, excuse me, Brett, comes back, she comes back on TV, hits the ring, what happens? Now, what did I, mm, I have been saying for so long that even though in the mind of Vince and Bruce that wins and losses don't matter and titles don't matter, they do. They absolutely do. So when she comes in to the ring after a, a three-minute match, a sub-four-minute match at the SummerSlam where she visibly tapped out, where she not only visibly tapped out, won the match only because the referee was too stupid to see her tap, like the worst possible story you could tell for a baby face. And she goes into the ring and she gets booed and people are shocked. What the hell are you talking about? If you're going around saying, poor Liv, she didn't deserve it. Liv more, let's clear this up again because I feel I always have to clear this up. I have nothing against Liv Morgan personally. She comes across as a lovely human being. She seems sweet as hell. A, 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 a good person who loves the business because if I had been her after all these years of being chucked around with nonsense in WWE, I would have left. So clearly she loves wrestling and good for her. And none of this that is happening to her right now is her fault. It's her bullshit booking at the hands of Triple H. As I stated last week, they had... They felt they had to protect Ronda for some reason? Well, if you have to protect Ronda and you have to protect your champion who is coming out for her first defense of a title that she won very in very screwballish fashion, FYI. If you're going to protect, if you feel that you have to protect everyone, don't book the fucking match. It's that simple. So no, so they don't book the match. They book the match. They have the fucking this ridiculous, mind-blowingly stupid ending. And then they have Liv come to the ring and the audience turns on her. They boo her. They chant you tapped out, which is all true. This is not how you build an underdog. Let it play out, Warren. She's toast. They never had faith in her in the first place. And this, this booking that's happening, now they're putting her up against Shayna Baszler. Shayna's going to lose. You know why Shayna's going to lose? Because they haven't been doing jack shit with Shayna for months. 
and now they're sort of realizing, you know what? Mm, yeah, that we're, we we kind of fucked up with Liv, so we're going to give her a win over someone who can seem intimidating, but also, you know, really isn't in our plans, so we can just, we can put Shayna Baszler in this match, have her lose, and everyone, and you know, and you know, the planet will keep turning. And, and nothing will be perturbed. And it's not the fans' fault. Because the fans are reacting to how they how she was booked. This is absolutely the reaction that you should have. She tapped out. She should not be champion. The only reason she's still champion is because the referee didn't see it. It's a heel move. They've built Liv as a, as a heel. She'd be perfect right now. I told her it blows my mind. I do not understand this. And this is from the plume of Booker Triple H. This this is this is under his this is under his watch right now. So this is why I can't get excited with the future of WWE, with the, with the future W Triple H and you know and and just ready to I'm ready to drop everything and and go all in on this because of stupid ass decisions like this they don't believe in live as a champion i've made my case for it and i think it's solid and i still maintain it if you don't know what i'm talking about it's from the podcast last week i even clipped it it's on its own separate video right here on the channel i think my case as to why wwe doesn't believe in live is strong again this has nothing to do with live herself Nothing to do with Liv herself. But she's been booked horribly. She does she can't properly win her first defense. Basic elementary wrestling booking should have it that your champion needs to look strong at its first defense. I don't care if the match goes time, if it goes to the time limit draw. As long as everyone looks strong. If your champion looks like a champion, it's fine. She doesn't look like a champion. She looks like a loser. Twice, she sneaks out with a win. Everything says to me right now, Liv Morgan is not ready to be this champion. In kayfabe, of course, in storytelling. This is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I get Liv. I get... Uh, ridiculously worked up about Liv Morgan because the thing here, the thing here, I feel Liv Morgan is a Liv. If they booked Liv Morgan like they booked Johnny Gargano in NXT, it would be a layup. This woman has babyface underdog energy to her, and they're not capitalizing on that. They're making her look like a dork. Who sneaks out of wins. Jesus. 
So the Triple H era right now is very much a mixed bag for me. I'm glad that they're pulling the trigger on the uh, on the uh, the women's title tournament. And again, be be just be clear about it. Be be level headed about it. This is again Triple H doing good faith gestures because he knows he needs to win this good faith, which is fine. This is what he should do. I'm not. I'm not saying he shouldn't do it. He absolutely should do it. And so the, the the women's tag titles are going to be a beneficiary, are going to benefit from Triple H needing to get the audience behind him. Trying to scrub away the stank of Vince. This is what he's doing. And that's what, it's crucial that he does it. Okay, I'm going to be balancing some stuff over onto the Going Broadway segment, which is all the stuff that I don't get to talk about. I record some extra stuff for members only. So if you want to hear me talk about NWA 74, uh, if you want to hear me, uh, if you want to hear me give some thoughts on uh, some potential new returns to NXT, and not to NXT to to well to WWE. Via Triple H, let's do that. A couple of thoughts there, so I'll go toss uh, those things there. So on the Going Broadway segment, a little extra content for the um, for the members. Become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel right here, and you'll have access to it as well. I wanted to talk about NWA 74. What are you talking about? Why wouldn't you want to talk about NWA 74? <laughs> pay, pay per view of the year, man. Come on now. Let's have some fun. Can't be serious all the time. Just got and you know, here's the, here's, the, here's the thought. Here's another thought. I'm just going to put out there. You know, as you know, as all of you know by now, I like, I don't, I. I follow the ratings stuff from afar. I'm not a ratings guy. I think it's a little preposterous, honestly. I don't get involved in wrestling in ratings discussion with wrestling because it's so fucking tedious. And um but you know, I like to see how things perform and how things go well, right? Raw last week, last Monday, not this past Monday, last Monday, it hit a high and I tweeted it out. I was like, this is very good. This week, everything was down. We're getting closer to the normal levels of, uh, of, of Raw. Now, again, look, just between us, and I'm not sitting here saying that I've, I've done, you know, I, 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 I've done a deep dive into the ratings, ratings trends over the past five years and so on and so forth. Like, I really haven't. But you know how everyone... Keep saying, you know, WWE needs this magic. Uh, WWE caters to these uh, mythical casuals, right? The casual audience. You, you, I'm sure you've heard at least that, that discussion. Now, if... It, here's a theory. It's just a theory. Because I need smarter people than me than to, to dive into these numbers to make any sense of it. But hear me out here. What if WWE currently does have the casual wrestling viewers? That that's their 
That's their destination. They've been sucked in. And they have them already. And the audience that they don't have, that's missing out in their numbers, is the hardcore crowd. What if WWE is not chasing the hardcore audience? And by sticking to the casuals, which they have, their numbers have been going down systematically for the past 15 years. Because look, Triple H becoming head of creative didn't make any front page news of any entertainment magazines over the past 15 days, right? Vince reclusing himself, absolutely. That's a big deal. But Triple H taking over, that you know who was a big that was that was a big deal for? You know who was that was a big deal for? For wrestling fans. That was covered intensely and still to this day, intensively by wrestling media. Who consumes wrestling media? Wrestling fans, wrestling hardcores. I'm assuming if you're listening to my podcast now, if you listen if you uh, listen to post shows over on Fightful. If you read articles on Wrestling Inc., if you're subscribed to the Voices of Wrestling Patreon, you are a hardcore wrestling fan. So this news is meaningful to you, the news of Triple H taking over creative. So who, why was there a spike of people tuning in on Monday to watch two weeks ago to see this new era of Triple H if not hardcore wrestlers because maybe last week they tuned in and they were like, you know what? This looks quite a bit like what it used to be. I'm still turned off and didn't return this week. I think the wrinkle, the biggest wrinkle to that theory is that they were coming off a pay-per-view and usually... Monday Night Raws are bigger, ratings-wise, the night after a pape, usually. Especially one of the one of the big four. I'm not saying that's exactly it, but I'm just saying. So I'm just, like, this is a thought that crossed my mind. Why was there such a big drop then this week? What if the casuals are the base? And WWE has... Decided to not cater to hardcore fans for so long that hardcore fans are not tuning in and that's why they're not seeing growth. And that's just a, that's just a, 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 a thought. G1 Climax update, of course, my continuing coverage of the G1 Climax 32 is ongoing right here on the YouTube.com slash Amista Warren Hayes. Uh, but on top of that, if you, you can also hear my coverage on uh, on your favorite podcast app. You know, I've been dropping episodes. I'm combining two nights of action into one review. And we are absolutely positively in the home stretch right now. I'm just doing a little recap as to where we are right now. So, But, you know, I am not, folks, I am not. I am not, 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 not going to, you know, do a deep dive here tonight, so on and so forth. If you want the... The deeper coverage, come and watch my uh, my G1 recaps. Um, I just want to say that I had called Jonah beating 
Kazuchika Okada. That's all, I think that's the most important. That's the most important thing that I've gleaned from the the climax 32 this year is that I called it. I made sense of it. I was able to break it down before it happened and say, you know what? This is probably going to happen this way. And guess what? It fucking did. <laughs> um, we had, since we last spoke here on Thursday, we had nights 11 through 14 happen. Uh, some of the highlights here, we had Shingo Takagi and Will Ospreay having a magnificent match on night 12. It ruled which is not a surprise. These two guys have unbelievable chemistry. They are uh, together. They are just one of these magic pairings uh, that is just a delight to watch. And every time, every time, uh, Shingo and Will was my match of the year from last year. Um, Was it on that level? No, but it was outstanding nonetheless. If you want a fun, entertaining professional wrestling match by two guys who are world-class, S-tier, on top of their game. That just, night 12 of the G1 this year, go out of your way to see it. Like, it's absolutely fantastic. Of course, like I said, the big shocker uh, of this stretch here was Jonah defeating Kazuchika Okada on night 13. A lot of people did not see that coming. Warren Hayes did. If you had been following my coverage, you would have seen it come too. Be like, holy shit, Warren got it right. (laughs) So rare I get to, so rare I get to take victory laps. Let me have this one. Can I have this one? Um, But no, it was, and it was a, a, a pretty good match on top of that. I thought Jonah looked very good and he was in need of a good match in this tournament because he started off against um, he started off against Toriano, which you know just kills your momentum straight off the bat. Bad luck, Fale, for fuck's sake! And uh, and he had an okay match with Jeff Cobb, but this one here he was able to shine, and he had another good one with Lance Archer as well. Uh, so, but uh, this was the shocker here, mixing up stuff in in in, in block A. Then a little bit, <clears throat> just to keep the intrigue going. Kazuchika Okada is the only, you know, I guess a lot of us were seeing him take over, uh, you know, just run through the block with a perfect score. But no, there's a little intrigue to it. There's Lance Archer that's catching up to him right now. So you're like, oh shit, okay, let's see where this is going. So, um, so, uh, so that was interesting. That was good. And the one thing that just blows my absolute mind that I just cannot fathom, that I can't bring it together, it's Yujiro Takahashi is in the top of Block D and I can't... That sack of shit is up there. He is in contention for Block D. We have to to speak about him uh, in ways that uh, might uh, imply that he could win the block. It's just like this is upside down topsy-turvy land to me i hate it i hate it to pieces you'll notice i didn't do the tokyo pimp gimmick and i was so fed up of watching him wrestle over the past two days i'm i i said it on the uh, on the um uh, on the recap show but i'll say it here to make it doubly official i'm retiring that gimmick i can't stand i'm done with him he uh, finished 
cannot cannot handle it anymore. He's, we're, we're good. We're done. Um, uh, like, Yujiro wrestled the match. I'm sorry, it's slipping my mind. I can't remember on what night. He wrestled the match with Yoshihashi, who, Yoshihashi, I've had my, 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 my shits and giggles towards him, my gata ha-has, right? And, uh, and the, um, but, but I've come to terms in the G1 with Yoshihashi. He's one of these guys. No one works harder for his losses than Yoshihashi. For a guy who has a losing record in the G1, he works harder than everyone. And he worked the match with Yujiro that Yujiro won. And they worked, they fucking worked Yujiro's pace. So it was a snoozer. It was a slow plodding match where I'm like, Yoshihashi, and here I am saying this, Yoshihashi can be much more explosive, can be much more interesting, capable than this. But we're working Yujiro's match here. Fuck this shit. And then they do, they go and pull a possession angle during one of the matches. Are you kidding me? They have a glove, an iron glove, a, a, a claw that used to be worn by Iska. Retired now. He's passed down this claw to Tai Chi and Tamatanga. They were using it about, I'd say, what, 18 months ago? Tai Chi and Tamatanga have a match, and Tai Chi brings the glove to sort of tempt Tamatanga to go back to the dark side because Tamatanga's a babyface now. But then during the match, oh, Tai Chi starts getting, he starts hearing voices. Uh, and the glove is trying to possess him to put the glove on. And then, oh, Tamatanga now is getting possessed. God damn it. Look, I, sa I said it in the review. I'll say it here. I think that I would have been a lot more forgiving about it if it had been on a Road 2 show, on, on anything else than a G1 match where points are so fucking crucial because there's only seven dudes per block instead of 10. You lose two matches, you're boned. You have to work hard for everything else. And Tamatanga and Taichi in block B are both neck and neck and they're trying to chase Jay White. Like the story told itself in this match. It's nonsense. I didn't need this fucking goofy possession bullshit. There's another federation I can watch if I want like this kind of shit to happen. Anyway. We had a great night of wrestling on uh, night 12, you know, and I was also saying, where's our great night of wrestling? That's what I was talking about last week. We got it. On night 12, everything on that match clicked, uh, on that card clicked. Even the, I, Yano had his best match of the tournament here. Uh, I mean, it's not a technical marvel, don't get me, but it was the most entertaining Yano match. Like, everything just worked. Go check it out. Night 12 of the tournament. So we're in the home stretch here. Um, there is four nights of block action left. Four nights? Four, four, five? I can't count. 
Yes, night 15 happened today. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm not completely catched up. So yes, we do have four nights of block, block action left. The G1 finishes next week. The G1 finishes on uh, 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 August 18, which is uh, a week from now. So that's exciting. Four nights left. I'm going to finish up that coverage, man. You can count on your boy, Warren. Battle of the Belts, number three. Numéro trois. Tres. From the Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I would say, here's, you know, here's my macro analysis. Battle of the Belts 3, unquestionably the best Battle of the Belts show so far. Unquestion, like it's it's not even up for debate. Anyone who wants to debate it cannot. Now I've I've decided no debates are possible over the quality of Battle of the Belts in comparison to former uh, previous incarnations of Battle of the Belts. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I th- um, like see, I'm still I I still haven't gotten over the hump of Battle of the Belts not being a true-to-form supercard where all the belts are defended, right? I, I'm still not past that because between us, I still don't see what makes Battle of the Belts special. I don't see what makes it special as opposed to any other Wednesday night that is a supercard like fighter fest like winter is coming like next week with the fucking uh, game of thrones tie-in where they're having daniel garcia versus brian danielson in a two out of three falls like that's an attraction that's something where i'm like that's special and when you get these types of uber special matches on wednesday nights and you're telling me i'm getting jay lethal versus Wardlow on a battle of the belts I'm like okay like it's not it's missing something that makes it special but it's only because AEW is so is AEW is responsible for this they're responsible for their own success here it's their own damn fault is what I'm trying to say (laughs) it's their problem because if the dynamites, I think, on a weekly basis weren't as hot, weren't as compelling, must see. Probably Battle for the Belts would feel more special. Because I always, I really thought that this was going to be a Saturday night's main event approach. Where it's like, um, you know, you get these big time matches, free on TV, and big angles. You know, we always talk about the big time matches on Saturday night's main event, but there were always big angles that either had a big story bump or had a big resolution. And you know, of course, back then, well, Hulk Hogan didn't wrestle on TV, so unless you paid money to go see him at the arena, that's the only time you would actually see him wrestle on television for free would be on Saturday night's main event. So that was an attraction in and about itself. 
I understand all the workings of it. See, this is a good question though. Would I be less upset if they had named it something else? I think the expectation, okay, fair. I think the expectation of it being a pay-per-view uh, 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 where the belts, where all championships are being defended, I think that, I think the the creation of that expectation is not on us. That's on the way it was presented. That's how it was proposed. So yes, I think maybe naming it Battle of the Belts probably doesn't help my appreciation of it. But let's say they had called it, I don't know, the Saturday uh, the Saturday Sleeper Choke Hold. No, that's, that's a terrible name, Warren. What if they had called it the Saturday Suplex? The Saturday Superplex. Let's say they called it that. I'd still be underwhelmed by this card. Well, maybe not this one. Maybe not this one because there was because there were two. I think there were two compelling uh, matches here. But like the previous ones, I think I still would have been. Thank you. I think I would have been uh, a little. I think I would have been a little more. Com- it wouldn't have made it more compelling. And I still would be like, what makes these so special? And I think Claudio versus Takeshita was a special match for the tournament, for the for the Ring of Honor title. But it's also, right, Takeshita's last match before he flies back to Japan to do his, uh, his little run in DDT to obviously come back. Like, this kid is made here. Like, there's no way, right? Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. And I also went on a tangent that maybe I didn't necessarily want to go. Look at this. Warren Hayes goes on tangents. That's why he doesn't have time to do everything he's planned on his show. Um, let's have a little look-see. A little look, a little see, a little look-see. Uh, we'll start talking about the match. Uh, Wardlow defeated Jay Lethal to success- successfully retain the TNT title. Uh, this was fine, but really nothing more. And, you know, the worst match of the card wasn't terrible, but it was by far the match, the least interesting match of the three. Uh, heads and tails. And I thought it, the match lacked energy mostly. I think that that was my main problem with it. And I was like, look, you know what? Whatever I feel about Jay Lethal, you know, is is one thing. But you know, I, I, and if I look at this objectively, in a vacuum, like, well, look, Lethal's a veteran that will get something really great out of Wardlow here, right? But this wasn't the case. Now, I don't know what was going on, but I think hindsight being twenty twenty at this point, with what happened on Dynamite last night. Um, it seems that they're that maybe they were just holding back because there was the specter of a rematch coming. So we didn't know that obviously on Saturday. So on Saturday when I watched this, I was like, okay, work was okay. Like there's nothing wrong with the match. It didn't suck. It was just okay. 
distractions happen early in the match that allow Lethal to get some offense in because Wardlow was unpunishable. Tilted World slammed by Wardlow, a drop kick by Lethal, and uh, Wardlow no sells the drop kicks. Uh, there's this fun spot where Jay Lethal tries to lock in the figure four. Wardlow blocks it with a kick. Lethal comes back with a jackknife cover, which Wardlow then rolls through into a powerbomb, which that was pretty fun. Huge headbutt and a lariat by Wardlow. The heels gang up and, uh, well, of course, the, 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 the powerbomb puts Lethal away for the win. Um, the heels gang up on Wardlow after Wardlow teases powerbombing Satnam Singh. Who? And I got to tell you, I want to see it now. I mean, you don't tease it if you're not going to do it, right? Right? You don't, you don't dangle the carrot if you're not going to let me have a bite. But uh, Satnam instead chokeslams him through a table. So the heels stood uh, victorious. Not victorious, but uh, stood tall after the match. Supreet, nice to see you. Welcome to the chat. Anyway, there's not much more, not much more to say about this match. But now we're getting now we're getting some meat on the bone here. AW Women's World Title Match. Thunder Rosa successfully defended her title against Jamie Hayter. Good, strong pro wrestling match between these two women. This shit was right up my alley. Jamie Hayter attacks before the bell, snap suplex, and a shoulder tackle. She establishes her dominance early on. Drop kicks by Thunder Rosa. Uh, she goes for a dive on Jamie Hayter who's on the floor. And she dives right into a straight right punch by our girl, Jamie Hayter. Backbreaker against the stairs. Machine gun chops by Jamie Hayter. Uh, back in the ring. And another snap suplex. Hayter's game plan in this match was impeccable. Like the... You could tell she had a plan. Like the psychology of it was just spot on. She, there was nothing she could do. She, there was nothing Rosa could do to counter this game plan. It was spot on. Just great stuff. Rosa fights back with some elbows. Northern Lights suplex with the bridge by Thunder Rosa. Baseman dropkick washes Jamie Hayter's face. You get a senton off, sent off the apron as well. A diving crossbody by Thunder Rosa, who goes for an O'Connor roll back in the ring, but it's blocked by Jamie Hayter into a backbreaker. We get a brain buster by Hayter as well. Britt Baker and Tony Storm go after each other on the floor. Th Thunder Rosa tries some pins and some finishes with a roll-up that gets three on Jamie Hayter, but Jamie Hayter kicks out like a 3.2. This was not a very decisive win. It's like, I got, I just got, I got lucky. I got the pin on you this time. Jamie Hayter, man. But we knew this, right? Jamie Hayter, solid pro wrestler. She's a journey woman. <laughs> You'd say journey man, but you know. But she's a journey woman wrestler who's been all around the world She's wrestled in Japan and you can tell, you know, you can, the way she snaps in that, 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 that brain buster is just chef's kiss kind of thing. She's fantastic 
absolutely fantastic. Um, and she, I mean, this is the kind of person that you that you push in your division. You know, we got the unfortunate news that Chris Statlander is injured. She's going to need surgery on her other fucking knee. And that is so disappointing because she was on the cusp. She was on the cut. She was ordained to be the one to take the belt off of Jade. You're not going to... I'm still convinced you're not going to tell me otherwise. So, in the absence of one Chris Statlander, just go wild with the Jamie Hayter. And you know what? I know, like, this is a very Twitter thing. A lot of people out there doing it. But I 100% endorse this. Jamie Hayter and the Blackpool Combat Club. I endorse this. That would rule. Look, they didn't give us Layla Hirsch and Team Taz. Give us a kick-ass. Give us a kick-ass fighter like Jamie Hayter. And... And you see, like, this is the thing. is that Jamie Hayter comes across as a credible pro wrestler. She comes across as a credible fighter. That's why people are like, put her in the BCC. Good match. I enjoyed this match quite a bit. It got time. It got time. And to wrap this one up for Battle of the Belts... Uh, 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 Claudio Castagnoli, your Ring of Honor world champion, successfully defended the title against Kanusuke Takashita. This ruled. This ruled. Just a great, no, an excellent pro wrestling match. And if you, just fantastic stuff. We get grappling and holds. Just some awesome back and forth to start. And the crowd is so hot for it. The crowd is hot for this. Finally, Takeshita hits a leg lariat that that sends Castagnoli to the floor. He goes for a pescado. It misses. Claudio beats him up on the apron. Takeshita follows up with a flying lead scissors off off the second turnbuckle. And a flying forearm. A topicon helo. Claudio hits a an avalanche gut wrench slam and a big swing followed by running corner uppercuts. Takeshita answers back with a with a face wash kick and a blue thunder bomb turnbuckle DDT as well, which was fantastic. Looked like it hurt as hell. Frog splash by Takeshita as well. Goes for a flying or uh, flying forearm, but he gets anti aired by a Cesaro. Claudio uppercut. A sharpshooter by Claudio as well, followed by a lariat. Takeshita gets right back up. Claudio lariats him right back down as well. Pop-up uppercut into a backslide by Takeshita. He hits a knee strike. He hits the brain buster. Claudio kicks out of the pin attempt. He goes for the Ricola bomb. It's reversed. Roll up. Claudio kicks out. He hits a Death, Death Valley driver, a flying uppercut, a lariat, Goes for the hammer and anvil, elbows, hits the Ricola bomb to catch this toast. Oh my God. I can't do this match justice, really, doing this breakdown. 
fantastic stuff just smooth 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 and you can you look at you look at Claudio wrestle and you look at what he's doing and you can tell in his body language that he's enjoying this ring of honor title or not you can tell that he's like look this is the shit I love this is what I love you can tell as good as Claudio was when he was Cesaro there's there's another level here there's another level of of awesome to what he's doing to how invested he is in what he's doing if you have not seen this match seek it out watch it let it pour into you it's outstanding stuff match of the week I haven't seen anything better. Didn't see anything better last week. And Takeshita, he's special. And he's coming back. There is no way this kid is staying in Japan seeing how over he is in the United States. And I saw reports going, oh, well, uh, WWE are, are interested in Takeshita, Kunosuke Takeshita. And I'm like, of course they are, because they have two fucking eyeballs. <laughs> it's like, it's no big surprise to me. Triple H would be interested in it. Of course he would be. I mean, WWE had Kushida and fucking Jiro. They still have Jiro. They don't know what the fuck to do with them. They didn't know what the fuck to do with, you know legendary junior heavyweight Kushida and then Kushida leaves the Fed next thing you know he's having 20 minute bangers with uh, Alex Shelley in New Japan Takesh is a kid who knows his worth at this point he knows and he's gonna come back He's here's the thing, and and I know. See here, this is this is the difference wherein I have more faith, and I don't want to say complete faith, but I have more faith in AEW storytelling than I do in WWE's because AEW has more of a track record of hits than misses, and the misses are oftentimes so minimal that they don't have any real impact. Whereas when it hits, it hits hard. I know a lot of people were like, Tony Khan did him dirty, didn't even give him a big win before his departure, or you know, so on and so forth. When Takeshita comes back, and people and people get excited to see him come back, imagine the reaction he's going to get when he gets that big win on a dynamite. On a pay-per-view. People are going to go nuts. That, that's a feud right there. That's, I would dare say, that's a pay-per-view match. Maybe not, you know, top card. It's a good little mid-card affair. Lower mid-card affair. Kanesuke Takeshita versus, you know, someone shitty that everyone hates. A good, a good heel to contrast them, but who can work? And commentary putting over the fact 
Takeshita, Takeshita. He's never won the big one. And then he fucking wins the big one. Like uh, Eddie and Chris Jericho, right? You kidding me? Just wait till he comes back. He's inevitably coming back. Because I, I, you know, I was I was thinking about, I was thinking about uh, the comparison with uh, 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 Shota Umino, right? Because Shota, Shota is a good solid worker, but he's not as great a worker as Takeshita is, right? But Shota in North America is over as fuck because he's still. Working off that, uh, off that uh, 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 John Moxley rub that he got when John Mo- when he was John Moxley's young boy at the G One, he still got it, and he still people are still popping because they're like it's John Moxley's kid, right? And he's doing the swagger now, like Mox, and he calls himself Shooter because that's how Mox started calling. Like he's still, and that's fine. This is not a knock. Like if John Moxley gave me any kind of props, and I'm a wrestler, and he's giving me any kind of props, I am using the shit out of them to get myself over. What are you talking about? My point here is that the comparison here is that Shoda does not need to go back to New Japan because he will not be as over. Like he doesn't need to go back to Japan. He is in New Japan, but he won't need to go back to Japan. He shouldn't have to go back. He should stay here. He's Moxley's kid. And one last note. I don't know how many how many people really pointed this out or if we ever even talked about it. How good, how much how much fun the commentary booth was for the main event. You had Excalibur, you had Taz, you had Caprice Coleman, and you had uh, uh, William Regal. A four-man booth, but all four guys just marking out at moves and talking about the names. And this is how you apply this shit. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, this is, God, this is great. This is what, and Excalibur getting excited, calling the moves, you know, and and Taz doing his thing too. Getting excited too, but dropping some knowledge and then throwing over to, uh, and then throwing over to William Regal and, and Caprice in there, adding his wonderful color commentary. And I'm just like, that was a dream. The guys were having fun calling the match and they were calling the moves and it was just great. What am I talking about? Let's go with Dynamite. Our weekly review of AEW Dynamite. Quake by the lake. More like bathed in blood. Jesus Christ. This match here. Hey, DGMC, welcome to the chat. This ma- this show, starting straight off the bat, the coffin match don't call it a casket darby allen defeating brody king and it just like blood blood what a great violent match to start the tradition of aw dynamite starting with a hot match once again goes undefeated Darby attacks out of the dark. 
during Brody King's entrance, which is fantastic. And he has a skate deck covered in tacks, which he uses to bust open uh, Brody King. And boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy, uh, uh, Brody King was hitting the aspirin because our boy here was uh, bleeding. There was the juice. Jesus. So much blood. And I'm not I'm not offended by any stretch of the imagination. Don't don't mistake my uh my amazement here for uh for disgust. I was if anything, I was shocked at how much and how early. They brawl on the floor. There's an avalanche code read by uh Darby Allen, a senton on the floor by Brody King who gets some tables. He tries to set one up. One of them is not cooperating. So he's like, all right, hit the bricks. BK goes, uh, BK being uh, Burger King. But because I use initials in my notes, I don't write the full names. And Brody King happens to be BK. And it's kind of like Burger King. So that's like, and then you say BK and it's like home of the Whopper. And that's what I should have said. So Brody King goes through the turnbuckles, goes through the turnbuckles, dives off. Uh, onto Darby Allen, who moves off the table. So King uh, crashes and burns. The lights go out, and the rest of the House of Black are there, including Julia Hart, who tips Dar- trips Darby Allen, and Buddy Matthews, who's back as well, who attacks Darby Allen. Uh, Malachi Black is there as well. Um, Brody King cannonball sentons through a table, and they go to dump. Darby Allen into the casket, but Sting is in the casket. They open the casket and he is there. No one checked beforehand. No referees opened the casket to be the coffin. Excuse me. Don't call it a casket. It's not a casket match. The coffin match. Very different. We're not, you know, pick, taking other people's IPs here. What is it? None. Of, my point being is no one inspected the fucking coffin. That's very, very shoddy work, AW officials. Um, he gets into the ring and uh, he tosses the bat to Malachi Black, but Malachi doesn't want to use it and he walks away kind of thing. There's a suicide dive by Darby Allen. King uh, just beats him up so much. <laughs> he just beats Darby up so much. But then Darby... He grabs uh, Brody King's chain and he starts choking him, dangling King off the apron. Eventually, he licks him, lets him go and King stumbles into the coffin. The lid closes. Darby Allen wins. Fun, brutal, chaotic. I love it. Clearly setting some stuff up for All Out at the same time. My kind, my kind of opener. That's hot stuff. Good little, good little blow off to this little uh, mid card feud we had going here too. John Moxley is then backstage. He cuts a promo on the match later, and then uh, Chris Jericho after that cuts his own promo. Where you know it's fine, it's good. We know what we're doing. Texas Tornado match then happened next. And Andrade Elidolo and Rush defeated the Lucha Bros. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Fun, high-paced, lots of action. Look, it's you know it's a lucha match that we got. 
um, and I wasn't able to jot down all the action completely because it just, you know, it goes fast and there's shit happening at the same time and I love it. Pentasling Blades, uh, Topi Kanhilo by Phoenix. Second rope, Topi Kanhilo on top of that. Uh, uh, not Topi Kanhilo, but a Topi Suicida. Uh, we get a Made in Japan by Penta. Power Slam by Rouge. Stereo Topi Kanhilos by Los Ingobernables. Rouge uses the cables on Phoenix. A DDT by Andrade on a chair. Then a DDT on Rouge by Penta. Ray Phoenix does a rope walk, head scissors, stereo topic on helos by, uh, by the um, uh, the Lucha Brothers this time. We get a destroyer on the apron by Penta. The Ingobernables tie Penta's mask to the ropes so that he's unable to help Ray Phoenix who gets pile-driven by Roosh and gets covered, but Penta willingly unmasks to save the match, which I thought was a big deal. And seeing that, we've, you know, we've seen the, uh, oh, I will unmask you to keep you from wrestling, but no, like he did it himself to try and save the match, but it was for not, because Andrade hits the Hammerlock DDT for the win. Like I said, fun, action-packed, good little match. And I should say hello to Pluggo from the Between Two Beards podcast. Pluggo, how are you? And welcome. We go backstage and the Young Bucks are coming into the Dark Order's quarters, I guess. They're their locker room. Adam Page is there with the, the Dark Order and the Bucks. You know, they say, look, they they wanted the whole they they brought Brandon in to film this because they wanted the whole world to see them thanking Adam Page for saving them last week against the screwball elite. Uh, Matt Jackson says um, says uh, that uh, they've treated him poorly and. Uh, well, they're not proud of it, right? Of the way that they treated Adam Page. And Matt says that, you know, the best time of his life was when the elite were all running together and, you know, then AEW came along, they built AEW and then everything got weird. And Matt apologizes. He says this building is special because it's where Adam Page won the world title. And he wanted so badly to congratulate him, but he couldn't now. But he couldn't do it. But now... He's he wants to do it right, and you know maybe maybe you know uh, uh, they're bad people, the young bucks, like you know the internet says. Maybe they keep people down, but um, but he says that uh, Adam Page brings uh, the good out in him, and they want to ask him right then and there, will you be our partner for the trios tournament? And Page apologizes, says you know. Thank you for the offer, but I can't. Uh, and he knows Matt was proud of him. But the Dark Order were actually there in his corner. And uh, and uh, this trios tournament is their time to shine. So he's going to be in their corner for this tournament. And the Bucks sort of go, eh, that's all right. We're good. You know, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, they're, you know, they, they, you know, they were leaving like they were shut down by their crush. 
after asking them out, you know, to go to the prom. Telling Brandon Cutler to shut up and turn the camera. But, so, yeah, good promo. Tying in some storylines. Making sure we, you know, we're all up to date. Everything follows. But this is where we're at. Adam Page, clearly, just like, whoop, shut down. Shut down um, the the Bucks here. And you know what? It was probably the best, dis- like it's the most babyface decision Adam Page could take, make, was to hang out with the guys who've had his back all this time. Because I think the discourse after that would have been, oh, well, look about Adam, Adam Page dumping the Dark Order, you know? Now, he did say, I'm going to be in their corner. He didn't say, I'm not going to be wrestling with them. So that's that's an interesting little wrinkle there. But we haven't talked about it, so let's talk about it. The AEW World Trios Championship Tournament, which was announced last week, and we got our brackets. And Matt Ritter from Smackin' It Raw podcast is here. And yes, you missed the Metal Glove segment. And that's on you, pal. So the brackets were announced. Uh, left bracket is incredibly strong. Death Triangle. And we'll be opening round one with uh, Will Ospreay versus and Aussie Open. So we've got New Japan people in this tournament. And then we've also got Andrade Elidolo, Roosh, and fucking Dragon Lee, who's going to be here to carry his brother Roosh once again, against the Young Bucks and their mystery partner. That, that just rules. This That side of the bracket is just... Phenomenal. And it is wild, wild how unbalanced this is when you compare it to the other side. Like there is nothing but excellence on this, on the left side. Pac, Penta, Phoenix, Will Ospreay, Ozzy Open, Andrade, Dragon Lee. Oh, well, there's Rouge. The Young Bucks and the mystery partner who I would follow conventional wisdom right now and say that it is Kenny Omega making a comeback, making a return. Let's do it. Let's go. Apparently, like it's a question of time and he's been ready. Bring him back. On the other side, we'll talk about all this in a second. And on the other side, we got the House of Black, which will probably be, of course, Malachi, Buddy Matthews, and uh, Brody King. Versus the Dark Order, could be any combination of the guys who are left. Versus the Trust Busters. Okay. <laughs> which, of course, are Arya Davari, Slim J, Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Not, well, yeah, he was orphaned, but uh, I know. And uh, Parker Boudreaux, 
against the best friends, which is going to be Orange Cassidy, Trent, and Chucky e. T. So, <laughs> I mean, I like best friends a lot. I like the House of Black a lot. I think Dark Order is pretty fun, but I mean this this is not this is not a, your work rate side of the tournament here. This is like it, it's a cra- it's wildly balanced right now. Like I think it's it's a wild wild balance here. But it's a tournament. Your boy Warren, he loves him some tournaments. Finals are taking place at All Out. So, what have we got in this pipeline right now? So, Death Triangle plus the New Japan guys. Dope as hell that we get some New Japan guys here. I, this is the kind of shit that I love. I love cross-promotion. I love bringing people in from, from elsewhere. Hopefully, you know, they'll, uh, they'll be able to give us, uh, uh, you know, video packages to make sure that we care enough for Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. But uh, I, I, lo- <laughs> I, love, I, I love this so much. I think it's great. Just like they were saying, if this relationship continues and we continue to throw people right and left, I, I'm legitimately excited for World Tag League. So that'll be exciting. Um... Andrade, Dragon Lee, Rouge, Los Ingobernables versus the Young Bucks in their mystery opponent. Look, I think it's Kenny Omega. I think it's a, absolutely Kenny Omega. And, you know, I've, saw, I've seen some discussions, you know, and they were happening in the Discord as well. It's like, you know, well, what if Kenny, you know, Kenny comes back as a heel and says, you don't bring Kenny Omega back as a heel. No one wants Kenny Omega back as a heel. That, that, you know, it would be a Becky Lynch situation here. Why would you do that? Why would you force that? Why would you? Because it's forcing it. It's, there's nothing natural about it. The AEW faithful are excited at the idea of Kenny Omega coming back to wrestle. Why would you force a heel turn down our throats? Why would you do this? Why would you make that happen? And you know what? They've been turning the Young Bucks. The young Bucks are slowly becoming baby faces again well they became baby faces last week been having baby face reactions since then it was to set this up i don't think look seriously honestly i will be the first on the front lines right here and i make you the solemn promise i will be the first here to shout and complain if Kenny Omega comes back as a heel. But it makes no sense. They shouldn't do it. No one wants it. Why is this even being considered? Why are people going, oh, well, maybe he'll come back with Don. He won't come back with Don Callis. Because I'll tell you one thing. People won't give a shit if he's a heel. They're still going to cheer for him. So why negate that? Why negate the pops? Why negate the excited reactions? Just go all in. Pun intended. Now, um, interesting thought here. Um, 
I I don't think. And I you know, I'd have to check the schedule a little bit. But somehow I don't think the Nuge guys will be going forward here. I think Death Triangle are going to go forward here. I think Pac and the Lucha Bros go on to the next go on to the next match because it will guarantee it is a guaranteed draw for the AEW audience. The Lucha Bros, the Young Bucks, Pac, Kenny Omega, that's one that just naturally the AEW audience wants to see. So I don't think Will and Ozzy Open are going for it. They're probably not coming just for this match. Why don't we take a minute here? Just a quick second. And we'll go see what New Japan has lined up in America. Around that time. So you see on August 13... Mm, no, not New... Th- well, look, aren't Aussie Open in the strong open weight tag team tournament, right? That's what they're in. I think they're just taking advantage of the fact that they're going to be here anyway to give them a booking, to give them an extra booking, right? Isn't that why they're here? Let's see, on August 13th, there's a show High Alert in North Carolina. And uh, Ozzy Open are taking on Christopher Daniels and Yuya Yumera. So they're going to be in, they're in North America regardless. Yeah, I am, I am 100% convinced that the New Japan guys are not going forward. That is my gut feeling. And I know everyone wants the everyone wants the Osprey Kenny face off. But guys, gals, non-binary pals, let's just take a step back and if I'm booking, if I'm booking towards my my biggest show of the year, which is all out, I'm not getting any distractions in. I'm not trying to divert the attention if my focus is to get the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega to the finals. I want them to stay focused on the prize. I want the audience to stay focused on the prize. I don't think we're getting, I honestly don't think we're getting Aussie Open, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay. Not now. I think they're going to continue to build it. And... It's not going, there's not going to be a face-off. There's not, they're not going to touch each other. I am willing to, I'm willing to bet some, some cash that this might be a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a Wrestle Kingdom event for young William Osprey. So my official prediction uh, the elite go forward, death triangle as well, and the elite move to the finals on the left side of the bracket. If we go on to the right side of the bracket. House of Black, Dark Order. I think this is a tricky one. 
It's trickier than it seems. But I would, if if my if my nose for booking tells me is it, setting me on the right path here. What I saw on Dynamite this week set up a lot of shit for the for the House of Black that has nothing to do with a trios tournament and has a lot of shit to do with stuff that can happen at All Out. I see the Miro. Look, I see Darby Allen, Miro, and Sting taking on the House of Black at All Out. That's what I'm seeing because that's what we've been building. And it's only been clearer now. It's since since Wednesday. It's only been clear. Sting's involved in this. Miro's been involved in this for a while, you know. And Brody King and Darby Allen is the feud that keeps on feuding. So I don't think the House of Black will be involved in this main event. Well, in this in this tournament past the first round. Because I think they have other plans for All Out. I think the Dark Order goes for it. <clears throat> because don't forget, Hangman Adam Page is in their corner. Trustbusters and Best Friends, look, um, the Best Friends go go for it. All right, let's, let's just stop this right now. We'll stop it. Stop. Then, when we get to the semi-finals um this is where it can get interesting dark order best friends my instinct i think for as long as they want to keep talking and doing the hangman adam page elite story and the dark order is involved here i think the dark order keeps going forward I can't, I don't see any other outcomes as long as Paige is involved. Because one scenario where you could do, you know, that you could do is, you know, maybe one of the elite get hurt during the tournament. Kayfabe, right? Let's say Matt Jackson, you know, and... His the long-term storytelling of his bad back. Um, maybe he re-injures his back. And Kenny and Nick have to go to the finals, but they don't have a partner. They don't have anyone else. And they do one last Hail Mary to, uh, to Hangman, who has to fight his boys because his other friends need him. I think that's an interesting wrinkle that could be done there. You know what I'm thinking? Call me crazy. Call me cuckoo nuts. Because you, you really could go either way here. You could go with the Dark Order going all the way to the finals or, the, or the, um, the best friends. If the best friends end up with the elite at the end, uh, it's going to be a PWG spectacular. Just nonsense. Just boopity boopity boop, you know, kind of thing. 
That's for sure. But I can definitely see the Dark Order getting a moment, a big moment in the sun. Something that they haven't had to this point. And it would be a surprisingly good match. I think people would be surprised at how good a Dark Order trio would be here. And would probably help raise the profile a little bit, you know, since all the departures. I think there's a, there's a lot of good that could come out of it. The, the elite are winning this tournament. And you can come up with any kind of other type of convoluted way of any other team here winning. Like the Nuge guys or the Trust Busters. No, this is the elites. This is the elites uh, championship. It is their belts. They're doing this. So look, you want your titles to mean something from the get-go. You want them to feel special. You want them to feel prestigious. You put them on the top guys in your company. The Jacksons. Kenny. That's how you do it. Those are my predictions. Let's see how they turn out. Because I batted, I was uh, spot on with the with the All Atlantic uh, tournament, wasn't I? Right. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the card here. Luchasaurus defeated Anthony Henry in a squash match. Kristen Cage, the Jungle Boy's on commentary. Christian Cage appears on the uh, Tony Tron. And uh, he uh, ironically congratulates Luchasaurus and, uh, uh, and he says he's going to come beat up Jungle Boy. And as he's cutting his promo, Jungle Boy's like, fuck this shit. And he takes his headset off and he runs back to the interview area to go beat the shit out of Christian Cage and I'm like finally someone does that you know instead of just standing in the ring and going and emoting it's like no fuck this guy I know exactly where this I know exactly where he is he's a he's at the interview spot I'm gonna go jump the son of a bitch I liked it Pat Buck got headbutted. What more do you want? Miro cuts a promo. Something about Malachi Black driving him into the dark. And then Julia Hart is there with him. And she, she says to embrace the dark. And she sort of caresses his beard. And he says, only one woman gets to touch the Redeemer. I don't know. I don't know. Let these these darkness promos that Miro's been cutting. I I don't think they're as good as his other stuff. Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh who come to the ring, and uh, they talk about uh, what happened at Battle of the Belts, which I covered just a few minutes ago. And they challenge Wardlow one more time. Wardlow comes down, says he's ready to give it for an ass whooping or to deliver an ass whooping or to give an ass whooping. And FTR come out to flank him. Pinnacle! Another big reaction for FTR. 
Jericho Appreciation Society now are on TV talking about uh, Jericho's win and uh, fondues and whatnot. And Daniel Garcia is there and he's talking about sending Danielson back to his garden or something. And Anna J.A.S. chokes out someone because she's nuts now. We get a quick video package about Aaron Solo just before we move into the match against Ricky Starks who defeated Aaron Solo in a quick one. Starts off fast. There's a big back body drop by Ricky Starks and 10 dimes, 5 dimes, stack of dimes. What was this kid? I don't know. He gets ejected by... He's apparently in the uh, Nightmare Factory now. And he gets ejected because he tries to trip uh, Ricky Starks. Starks hits a swinging DDT. Um, the Rochambeau is avoided, but he hits a spear for the win. Did anyone tell Jim Ross that uh, Ricky Starks is getting pushed by um, by AEW because he, uh, he was in this um, he was in this match just going on about you know he has to stop posing for the crowd and he has to he has to, he has to stop doing the foolishness and uh, he has to stop doing this you know the day that Ricky and I'm like Jesus Christ. This is a guy that they are putting over. That the company wants to push. This is a guy that has that sports entertainment feel to him. And all Jim Ross can say, focus, stop posing for the crowd. Never heard him say that about the fucking uh, rock when he was dropping people's elbows and bullshit. It's stupid. He's putting the guy, you know, and here's the thing. Here's, look, if you had a doubt, again, I'm not the ratings guy, as all of you know, but look at where they put Ricky Starks' match in. Look at where they put it strategically. Top of the hour. Starting another hour, people switching channels, moving over. The first thing they want, and... And AEW's like, well, for all the people who are switching over, coming over to watch this, the first thing we want them to see is Ricky Starks. It's a prime spot. It is a spot of confidence. And Jim Ross is all but burying the guy. Well, you know, if he didn't do this, if he didn't do that, well, fuck off, JR. Look at what he's doing right now. And it rules. And he just squished a guy. And this is in direct, like in such direct contrast with the main event that we got at Battle of the Belts that I was talking about earlier. You've got four guys who are just gobbling up everything that's happening in the ring and they're calling moves and they're you know, bouncing information off of each other. And JR's like, blah, 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 blah. Put some respect on JR's name. He's a legend. Yes, he is a legend. That's fine. But he ain't it anymore. He's past his prime. 
And I promise you one thing, if I were being paid the amount of money that he's being paid to be on commentary, I wouldn't be sitting there trying to bury the talent. Post-match, Powerhouse Hobbs was watching the, 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 the match, grabs the television screen and smashes it down. He also had a segment earlier, right, with the Nightmare Factory people where they tried to recruit him and he shot them down. He said something to the effect of um, uh, Ricky Starks is your issue. Don't bring your issues to mine kind of, or something like that. That was an interesting twist. You know, it's maybe, you know, Will and Ricky still have some good things to say about each other. I don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, look, the one-hour JR stints are perfect, for real. And I mean, there is nothing more painful than to sit through a Lucha Libre match with JR trying to add anything to it. The extent of his, well, that Rusha, he's a, he's a tough son of a gun. You know, he's the bigger guy. Christ. The ass boys are backstage. Stokely Hathaway tries to recruit them and uh, Kip pushes him away. (laughs) All right. And... um, and uh, Danhausen then rolls up to them and challenges them to a challenge to a match on Friday, which turns out to be a tag team match with Eric Redbeard. You know the off and on. He's the the he's there there. You know he's on call. He gets the he has a pager. He gets beeped. You got to come in tonight, son. There's another interview backstage where the Trustbusters are interview uh, are are chatting with the best friends. In advance of the, the trios match that they're going to have uh, for the tournament. And Davari is actually trying to scout Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy says, I don't know what you're talking about, but we're going to beat you. That's fine. AWTBS title match. Jade Cargill successfully defended her title against Madison Rain. <clears throat> um... I think Jade improves all the time that, you know, there's, I don't think that, I think it's a redundant talking point, but I think there's always little things that she improves. I think her selling is probably, I think her selling is her weakest point right now because she's, you know, she's been pushed so hard and so dominantly that I, I, you know, I think, I think her, her, her selling is her biggest issue right now. Also, her biggest issue in this match, anyway, is working with Madison Rain, um, who has never been a great wrestler. Wouldn't even say a good wrestler. I have never been a fan of Madison Rain. Now, props to her for having a long career. And here's the thing is that I hear many good things about her. 
uh, I hear multiple good things about Madison Rain. She's well-liked. She has a... Look, she honestly has a ton of experience. And you know, to be a good teacher, coach, doesn't mean you have to be excellent at your craft. You know, you can be very good at showing someone how to do something, but not be the best at it. And vice versa is true. You can be a terrible teacher, but be a fucking great uh, concert pianist. But, you, you know, it's like someone, teach me, sir. It's like, I don't know where to start. I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, everything regarding the Madison Rain presence in AW, I have reserves on, but I am reserving uh, 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 judgment until until we can get some distance, until she gets to stretch her legs a little bit. But for God's sake, I hope this, I hope her in-ring presence is all tidied up at this point because I she did herself no favors and she wrestled like uh, Madison Rain did. I mean, the, the, that's all there is to it. After this match, Athena slides into the ring and attacks Jade Cargill. She does one of she mocks. <laughs> she she mocks uh, uh, um, uh, Jade Cargill from from behind, which I thought was a very Athena thing to do. And uh, I guess this is how we're going moving forward, Athena and Jade Cargill, which is fine. Which is, yeah, I was really hoping that this Madison Rain thing wouldn't be drawn out and thank. Mercifully, it doesn't seem like it, but, and I say this is, I guess, I'm saying this is how we're moving forward because kind of stinks, but, um, you know, the, the Statlander injury, I'm sure, has thrown a wrench in whatever plans they had because I still think Chris Statlander was the one. This will be good nonetheless. Thunderstorm are backstage, they're being interviewed. Tony Storm is now the number one contender because of the injury. And Thunder Rosa's like, uh, let's talk about titles later. And I'm like, okay. Okay, then. And finally, we had the main event, the AEW Interim World... T- oh, wait, the... Um, I can't remember what he called it. Anyway, the Interim World title. Uh, uh, John Moxley defeated... Lionheart Chris Jericho. This ruled. This ruled. No other way to put it. Jericho comes out and and he comes out to Electric Head by White Zombie. His El Corazon de Leon theme. Lionheart. Comes out in in the Lionheart gear. He's in, he even has he even has the ponytail. Jesus Christ! Attention to detail. Shaved perfectly down. They get going grappling standoffs, arm drags by by Chris Jericho, and it's getting mox irritated. He's like, ah, son of a bitch. Jericho's getting some triple A there on our boy, on our boy, uh, on our boy Moxley, and then he tears 
at John Moxley's ear hoop, his earring. And Mox goes to the floor and he blades his fucking ear. Like, not... He bladed his ear. I can't tell you that I've seen this very often in my lifetime. He bladed his ear. What is going on? There's a lot... And, and, and it gushes. Whatever Moxley does. What, Moxley just bleeds. And he bleeds all the time, all over the place. Lion salt by Chris Jericho. Mox rolls through it and into an arm bar, then an ankle lock. Chris Jericho hits a German. He does the figure four in the ring post. Look at that go. Look at our boy go. There's a crossface by Mox. Let's not reference what they were referencing here. Walls of Jericho gets locked in and Mox struggles to get out of it. For the entirety of the commercial break. And the crowd, you could see the crowd in the picture in picture. They were into it. And Mox is like, I'm not giving up. And you know what? Everyone's like, oh, good on Mox, good on Mox. Good on Jericho for holding that holding for so fucking long. Springboard dropkick is avoided. Mox Shows him to the floor with a sledge off the turnbuckle. He tries to do a sledge into the ring. Codebreaker interrupts that. There's distractions with the corner pads by Jericho. Uh, you know, Aubrey is clearly confused. Sammy Guevara is in the audience. And he throws the bat to Jericho. A little bit of an overthrow. But he got the bat. He throws the bat to Jericho who uses it on Mox. Then Mox gets thrown into the exposed steel turnbuckle. Eats a Judas effect. Jericho covers. Mox kicks out. Jericho then eats the steel turnbuckle. He blades. Get a bulldog choke. The lion tamer. Shots to the head by Mox. Sleeper. Chokehold. Jericho tries to... uh, I love this. Jericho is in the choke and he does he he raises his arm right he's doing the because he's the lion heart the lion heart was a fucking baby face and he's raising his arm you know sort of like to rally rally the, the the audience energy right he's trying to do the baby face comeback but he can't because he's a shit bag heel I fucking love the finish he's like God, this isn't working. I love that. Moxley retains. Jericho Appreciation Society. They attack. Then uh, Blackpool Combat Club and and, and affiliates. (laughs) Eddie Kingston, Ortiz. They attack. They, 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 they come in as reinforcements. And then... Um, uh, uh, and then Cult of Personality hits. CM Punk is back. He comes to the ring to clear everything out. The heels head for the heels. <laughs> Comedy. And boy, oh boy. What a fantastic... Moxley... Oh, everything about his persona. 
is impeccable. Because he sit they, they, that camera shot, when everyone's gone out of the ring, CM Punk is there, and he's sitting down in the middle, uh, towards the, the edge of the ring. And Moxley's sitting down, he has the belt, and he's going like this, and he's going, and he's like, calm down, everyone, come. And he's just, went, he's letting the thing happen with CM Punk. People are happy. But he's just going there and saying, And then at some point he gets up and he goes right nose to nose in a fucking great stare down. And there you go. There's your all out main event. No, no big shock or no surprise. That's what we were going at. But God damn it, that wasn't electric. John Moxley flips him off. CM Punk. Pure Moxley fashion. Mox rules. And CM Punk does a La Parca. You know, to make sure that he that he shows that his foot is fine. Apparently, this weekend he was at the comic convention and he was still limping. He was kayfabing the shit out of everyone who was there. I saw one guy get really mad. Oh, he was faking. He lied to us. It's a pro wrestler. Pro wrestlers work. They're working all the time. I I respect. I respect that. I respect that just a fantastic fantastic main event I put a poll here in the Mr. Warren Hayes show uh, channel here live on YouTube asking the audience was Jericho Moxley 2 Chris Jericho's best match in AEW 71% of uh, of people who popped by said yes it was to 28% of no's and I agree I think this was Jericho's best match and I, I think we could we could have a discussion and I could be swayed. This match with Eddie Kingston which was excellent. But I think this one had a little uh, a little extra oomph, a little extra a little extra a little extra Is this Mox reign better than his first one during the pandemic match quality-wise? Um, I think Mox overall, if this is even fathomable for anyone here to uh, to conceive, I think Mox overall is better than he was just as a pro wrestler than in, than in that pandemic. As good as it was, don't get me wrong, I think everything about him is just like on a whole other level. I think he's I think he's found himself. I think he's found what he wanted to be when he got when he freed himself from the Fed and ended up going to AEW and not, you know traveling, I think traveling, doing the new Japan, doing the G1, hitting the Indies I think he he leaned a lot more into the grit aspect of what he is, and it's made him it it there's a he's become like a full circle of himself, and probably on top of that, you know he's he, he's cut out the booze, he's probably he probably feels like he's in the best shape he's been in a while, like honestly. Since he's cut the booze. He's been amazing. 
And we're going to look back on this. And we're going to look at guys who had careers like Ric Flair. Renowned party people, right? Always on the sauce. And we're going to look back at his career. And we're going to look back at the career of John Moxley in a couple of years. As a guy who did the partying and so on. But at some point, cut it out of his life. And look at what he's doing. I mean, you know, still a couple of months here, folks. But, uh. I'd like to see a more compelling argument for anyone else, a wrestler of the year, than John Moxley. I could be swayed, but uh, man, your boy Warren right now. <sighs> like, okay. Uh, you know what? I'm going to talk about this more on the Broadway. I'm going to talk about this more on Golden Broadway. We're going to talk about, you know, let, let's open up the, mat, the, the wrestler of the year discussions. Going Broadway for members only with the extra content. We're going to be talking about NWA 74. These new returns to, to WWE that are, that are planned. And this extra content for members only. Become a member right now. So as it stands right now. I didn't do the weekly wrestling inspection theme. I didn't do it. No point in doing it. We're not going to do it. We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> we are going to wrap this up. Nice little bow. And send this off uh, into, into the ether. And uh, call it a night. But uh, listen, I want to thank everyone who joined me tonight. Another fantastic time and I appreciate I appreciate everyone who comes out to, to watch all of this live here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Plus, uh, thank you to everyone watching this on demand. Plus, thank you to everyone who's listening to this on their favorite podcast application. I appreciate it tremendously. But as it stands right now, we are going to bid you adieu as one guy who's about to make his return would say. And um, for a wonderful evening. For one and have a great rest of your week is what I'm trying to say and uh, we'll talk to you soon until next time